This week on the show, I've got a special guest with me, Eric Berger, the senior space editor at Ars Technica. We all follow him on Twitter, we all read his writing over at Ars Technica, but I thought it'd be fun to have him on the show for a discussion around the topics of the day and whatever else is on his radar. But before we do that, I wanted to say a very special thanks to the 56 of you out there supporting Main Engine Cutoff on Patreon. I'm very, very thankful for your support. It helps me do this show every single week, helps me write the blog every single day. And I want to say a special thank you to the 10 executive producers of this episode of the podcast. Pat, Matt, George, Brad, Ryan, Laszlo, and four anonymous executive producers. They produced this episode of Main Engine Cutoff. They made it happen. So if you see them out in the wild, say a thank you for bringing you this episode of the show. If you want to help support the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash Miko and give as little as $1 a month. All of your support is very, very appreciated and helps me do things like gear upgrades, travel to conferences and launches like we have coming up this year. And it helps me bring on great guests like Eric Berger. So let's get to it. Thank you very much, Eric, for joining me on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So let's get started with the hot topic of the week, the SLS uh, delay that that was sort of announced last week, but maybe not fully announced uh, last week. Yeah, NASA didn't really announce it. It's not something that they, they want to advertise. I mean, there have been a lot of people who have been you know, doubting the late 2018 initial launch of the Space Launch System and Orion capsule for the first time, um, just because of the issues, and originally with the Orion service module, but also with the rocket itself and, and the ground systems. And so, you know, when the, um, uh, the Inspector General, I'm sorry, the, the General Accounting Office came out with their report last week saying that we have grave concerns about this date and NASA, NASA should reconsider it. It wasn't surprising, but what was a little bit surprising was reading the response from NASA in which William Gerstenmaier, the head of human space for NASA, said, yes, we agree with this, and, and actually we're in the process of resetting that date. So it wasn't, it wasn't so much NASA announcing this. It was kind of slipped in in a letter response to the, um, the GAO report. Yeah, as an appendix to a report that was released through, you know, it, it's hard to get to that piece of info, but obviously uh, we did and all. I, I'm curious. I think, you know, people like us that follow this very closely have been hawking this for years. We, uh, we're not at all surprised. We kind of heard this. Uh, you certainly, through reporting in the past year, has, have been talking about this. Um, but what do you think this does for the near-term future of SLS and Orion? It's sort of been like a political beast the last couple of years, seemingly indestructible. Um, there are some cracks starting to show at the seams. But what do you think this kind of thing does for them in the next year or two years? <sighs> You know, that's a good question, and I'm not really sure how to how to come at it. Um, it doesn't really change the battle lines much. You still have the big industry, you know, the footprint, the, the Boeings, the Lockheed Martins, the Orbital ATKs who are behind this project 100%, um, and they have very strong lobbies in Congress. Um, and that doesn't, this doesn't really change that calculus. You know, they would, they would point to the fact that, you know, New space faces delays all the time too, and and this is you know this is a big project, so it's understandable. Um, but I think it, it really calls into question. For me, the big the big the big picture thing here is this calls into question you know whether or not this is going to be a viable launch system in the first term of Trump's presidency. You know the president. Um, or at least senior officials in his administration have made it clear that they'd like to see something done with humans um, before the end of the president's first term. And that means really something done by early 2020. And so that's why, you know, a couple months ago, NASA started talking about putting crew 
uh, on this original exploration mission one. I, I think the big question for me out of all this is if NASA, you know, can't get an uncrewed version of Orion and an SLS ready, you know, for November of 2018, and that's going to slip into early 2019, that doesn't really give me much confidence, if any, that they could get a crewed mission instead of an uncrewed mission ready by the end of 2019 or early 2020. It just doesn't, it seems like that's going to be a really tall, tall hill for them to get up. Yeah. And it's, it is definitely a little bit incongruous. Uh, you know, it's a safety concern and that's something that they've harped on endlessly, uh, for commercial crew is that, you know, they're, they're very concerned about, you know, SpaceX fueling procedures and, uh, all these different things that have been a major area of concern the last year. And them talking about how important safety is to then go and say, hey, let's, uh, you know, at, at expense of some schedule concerns and let's speed up the stuff and let's make sure that we can get the life support system fully online. It, it seems a little bit uh, like a little bit of cognitive dissonance on, on both halves of NASA there, which, again, has not been that surprising because that has been the theme of the last half a decade or more in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's. It's it's almost like you have a double standard, right? That you know they they want to see the the Falcon Nine rocket, the final version. I think, I think it was eight times. I, I'm sorry, I've written about this before, and I'm not sure if it was six, eight, or ten. But basically, they want to see a half dozen or more flights by the final version of the Falcon Nine rocket before they'll put crew on it. But now they're turning around it and and more than happy to put crew on the the first mission of the SLS rocket, um, which you know which raises some questions about all of that. But, it, you know, it, at the end of the day, I'm not even so much It's sure it's going to be a safety question because I think you could, NASA could convince itself that because you're flying, you know, flight-proven engines and you're flying SRBs, which are similar to the shuttle, and you've got a core stage that's been tested, you know, yada, 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 that you could convince yourself to safely put crew on it. I think it's ultimately going to be money. Um and, you know, I've heard different numbers. I've heard half a billion a year to $1 billion a year for the next two years to get, you know, a, a capsule and spacecraft that's capable of taking crew on EM-1. And, and I'm just not sure you're going to find a billion dollars a year more for SLS and Orion when already they're getting, you know, three or three and a half billion a year in funding. Yeah. And the thing that I've kind of harped on was if if putting crew on that flight doesn't do anything for your post-EM1 plans, there's really no point in doing it because uh, it's, it's the same roadmap otherwise. So I'm interested in the strategy here that they sort of announced this deep space gateway, deep space transport. They announced the architecture for what SLS Orion are going to do through the 2020s. And if they start putting more focus on that in the next couple of months as 2018's budget gets shaken out, then maybe it's kind of the shifting in focus where they realize to kind of sell this program and for its future, they need to focus on what it's going to do, not necessarily an immediate win uh, like crew would be in you know the first term of the Trump presidency. I th I'm wondering if that is something that we could see develop, where they start really talking about what these things are going to do and why they're going to do them. Well, it was interesting. They didn't, they didn't really announce that in a grand fashion either, and they haven't released any kind of you know, flashy website or, or really promoted Hashtag. these materials as much yeah it was a journey to cislunar space but <laughs> they have gotten rid of the squid chart but but it came out in a in a um a meeting of nash nasa's advisory council which is which is really these are quarterly meetings that are really notable to me because gersten meyer gets up there and spends you know a couple of days there you know meeting you know 
meeting with people and, and taking questions from people in the industry. And, um, you know, he's, he's a hard person to pin down because he's, he's obviously really busy, but he's, he's a very important man in, in NASA's human spaceflight plans. Um, and, and so he talked about this gateway architecture and, and what they were going to do on EM1 through EM10 or 12. Um, but, but my takeaway from that is that was basically NASA's pitch, I think, to the transition teams when, you know, the new presidential administration, um, you know, appointees were coming in to look at these things. And, and this was the NASA saying, here's what we plan to do. Here's what we can do if you continue funding us and, and keep us on our present course. Um, and so that was finally, I think, that plan sort of leaking out more into the public in the public sector. And, and we kind of all got to look at, at what they, you know, what they were planning to do, which, you know, to be to be fair, was quite interesting. Um, but I, I don't think they quite have the funding to pull that off yet. Um, and they didn't at all you know, the most interesting thing to me was really leveraging the, the commercial interest that we're seeing in this area. Um, and we've seen it through the deep space habitat, the, the, the deep space gateway, as they, they call it now. But, you know, the private launch rockets and things like that, all of those pieces are kind of moving pieces. And so, you know, we don't, we don't really know how all that fits in just yet. Yeah, it definitely seems to be focused on... Uh, it's sort of almost the lowest common denominator of the other plans that are talked about. You know, the ESA has been talking about the Lunar Village for, I don't know how long at this point. You've got Blue Origins sort of talking about doing things towards the moon. Uh, and there's a lot of this focus that sort of seems to be served by something like the, D the Deep Space Gateway, uh, specifically picking out an orbit that both Orion can get to, but that could also be useful for surface operations for other things like that. It's, it seems very much so pointed at something that SLS Orion could do, but also that could garner support from international companies or, or international uh, organizations and private space companies. That sort of seems to be, you know, they're, they're trying to balance these three different parties. Um, and I think that, you know, showing how it could cultivate an environment like that would be more useful to SLS Orion in the long run than putting crew on EM-1, especially because then you'd have to put crew on EM-1 and wait three years uh, to fly again, which, you know, that, that seems flaky. Well, I think, think that's probably right, but they may be the, the NASA um, senior leadership, like a, a Robert Lightfoot, may be looking at this like, if we don't put crew on EM-1, the program is dead because, you know, let's say that they, the decision is made, they don't get the funding or they find it's not safe or, or whatever, the decision is made to not put crew on EM-1. And so you have an uncrewed um, Orion, you know, launching off of an SLS in, in, let's say, March or April of 2019. And, hey, things go well. The spacecraft comes back safe. You know, they find, if they, they find that it would have been okay to put crew on there. You know, NASA has been talk talking about doing the second crew flight on SLS in 2021. But a lot of these reports from the GAO, the Inspector General, and things like that have said, they're not on target for 2021. They're really looking at 2023 for their first crew flight of EM-1. That now is not in the first term of Trump. It's late in his second term or the second term of President whoever comes next. If it's Mark Zuckerberg or you know Joe <laughs> Biden or you know Cory Booker or you know Donald Trump or Mike Pence or whoever it is, the, this is this is a long time for a country that seems to not be able to look beyond you know. The week this coming weekend, um, and, and you know, if you get to 2021, 2022, you know, you're probably going to have Blue Origin, you know, their large rocket, you know, New Glenn flying payloads. SpaceX is going to be, 
you know, doing interesting stuff. Probably by 2022, it will have sent a Ren Dragon to Mars. Um, then maybe they'll pull off their lunar flight, their tourist flight around the moon. I have some real skepticism about that, um, that they'll do that in 2019. But, you know, the private sector is going to be doing a lot of interesting things in the next three or four years. And I think that NASA, if it, if it kind of doesn't, you know, get off the pot and, and move with SLS, it, it is going to be caught in some respects by the private sector. And, and, and then really, you know, that would be pretty embarrassing to your flagship programs. With that said, we saw today Newt Gingrich at this, uh, what was it called? The ultra low cost something or other. Uh, ultra low <laughs> cost access to space. That's what it was. Yeah. Ooh, uh, cats. <laughs> Ooh, cats. Newt Gingrich got up and Reemerged onto the space scene. He sort of was like hibernating for a decade or something there. Uh, and he was talking a lot about reusable rockets and how uh, he really wants to see a conversation about why you would use an expendable rocket. Uh, and it's very interesting to see these kind of shifting party lines, not even party lines, but uh, parties, a loaded term, shifting lines of discussion. What is that really? That really doesn't seem to have an effect at all to me. I don't think there's been so much noise in the last six months with everybody trying to gain an advantage and gain Trump's ear from, you know, Elon Musk to Newt Gingrich. So how do you think any of those sort of policy positions weigh in down the line? Well, it was good to see Gingrich finally come into public view and really express where he has been on space. You know, listen, there has been, if you've been paying attention there has been a concerted effort by the SLS folks, by the Coalition for Deep Space Exploration, and by some of the private space people to play nice. It's, 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 they've used the hashtag and not or, basically saying, you know, trying to put out this, this, this sense that, you know, we're all holding hands. It's going to be private space. It's going to be SLS, and we're going to work together toward a common goal. You've seen that kind of, there's been that theme that's kind of emerged. Um, but, but, you know, Behind the scenes, you know, I have it on pretty good authority that that there has been a, a pretty pretty deep fight within the senior leadership of the Trump administration um, at the times that they've been able to focus on space between private space reusable lock rockets, low cost, the Blue Origins, the SpaceX's, those kinds of companies, and the traditional contractors, the Boeing, the Lockheed Martin's, the Orbitals, the Coalition for Deep Space People, and so there's been this 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 Despite the and not or hashtag, there has been kind of this push for influence behind the scenes. And Gingrich has been kind of the leading provocateur for, um, for the new space people. He, he looks at this and says the government should not be wasting money on launching rockets into space when the private sector can clearly do this for a lot less money. And oh, by the way, they're reusing them and, and we're throwing them away. You know, this is ridiculous. If you remember, after the Senate signed the uh, NASA Transition Authorization Act, Gingrich had a had a really interesting tweet. He basically said, "Well, this is great, but we're gonna, you know, this is all gonna be torn up in a few months when we get down to space." And so you have had kind of, and and I'm not sure how many people have known this, but but you know, it's it's been pretty clear that Gingrich behind the scenes, the, if he were to get involved in space policy, and depending on the level of influence he still has in the Trump administration, he was one of the six co-chairs of the transition team, so he still plays a role. You know, he clearly feels pretty passionate passionately about that. And that came out this morning when he gave this kind of fiery speech yeah. in Washington, D.C., um, talking about how, you know, 
in a, in a few years, SLS will be in a museum and, and, you know, thank God these, you know, thank God Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk have come along to, to invest, you know, their own money in these rockets and, and, and sort of show the government bureaucracy how it's done. At the same time, you have had a lot of people from, uh, uh, from, um, uh, some of the Alabama uh, lawmakers uh, and, and some of the sessions people, but but more some of the representatives um, who who moved into the White House and 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 and, and OMB and, and places like that who have had kind of been making decisions. And there's been this push and pull between kind of the Alabama SLS delegation and and their interests versus kind of these people who would really like to shake government up. And it still remains very much a mystery which way the National Space Council and Mike Pence ultimately are going to go. Will they sort of fall in line with this, um, this new space ethos of, of, you know, they're not just talking a good game out there in Hawthorne, California. They're, they're doing it. They're landing 10 rockets. Or will they say, no, you know, it's very important to have, an, it's in the national interest to have a big government launch vehicle. But we don't know which way, which way they're going to come down on that. But that really is the key thing to watch is, and, and today what was interesting to me to, was today is Gingrich kind of, came out and sort of staked out his position in a very public way. And so now maybe we'll get some resolution to that question over the next month or two. Yeah, it's interesting to see everybody try to jostle to win over the last few bastions of big space in Congress. Because you see Ted Cruz, who uh, was you know chairing a meeting last week about commercialization in space, and he's very much talking about uh, you know the SpaceX's and Blue Origins. Obviously, his state is Texas. They both have a presence there. Uh, that's not surprising at all. And then uh, when it came to that hearing, uh, Senator Nelson from Florida perked up a lot at the talk of in-space manufacturing. Again, his, spa- his state of the people that were in that committee have has the most to win from a burgeoning in-space manufacturing industry because of all the launches that would need to support that. So more and more, you see different senators and congressmen and members of the House of Representatives realize that the commercialization of space would you know a rising tide would lift all boats in some ways and they would get more out of it uh, than they currently are with their main constituents being the big space companies that we all talk about but still alabama and parts of mississippi have not been moved by that very much you've got airjet rocketdyne putting more into alabama you've got uh ruag who's building fairings for ula putting more into alabama so i'm i'm still unclear of how any of that is going to shake up uh you know the the guards that are positioned in Alabama that are still very key to Congress. And it's not just, uh, frankly, it's not just Alabama, although you, you know, Ted Cruz talked favorably about commercial space and said he was impressed by reusable rockets. Um, nobody in Congress outside of Dana Rohrbacher, um, who's this kind of this cantankerous representative from California who really likes Vladimir Putin and doesn't believe in climate change. He is the only openly critical member of Congress who says the United States is wasting money on the SOS. Everyone else still supports the program. They're the and, and not ors. They're, they're, they are the and not ors. Um, but they are but they are more of the government side. Like they are they they and Democrats are very much a lot of Democrats support it too because they you know they view it as a valuable government program. Um, and the conservatives, you know, like it, like it too. Um, so there is no, I don't see any groundswell in Congress whatsoever that, that questions the utility of SLS and, and to a lesser extent, Orion. The question in my mind is, is whether 
you know, President Trump comes out and makes an important speech, or, or more importantly, a Mike Pence comes out and says, you know, look, I've been talking to my military advisors. They're looking at the, you know, the potential of low-cost rocketry where we have a technical advantage right now. And we see this as a unique United States capability. And we think that if we invest in this, we can become, you know, by in the next decade or two, become the global leader in launch and, and low-cost reusable access to space. And here are all the national defense benefits it would have. Here are the economic benefits it would have. And, and we think that this is the way to go. Um, that's a possibility. Um, he is getting that advice from, from some members of the Air Force. Um, and if that happens, it would be interesting to see how much of Congress would swing to the president's whim on that. Or if, if the, the so, so, you know, back in 2010, you had resistance to this um, in Congress, but it was a different Congress. Now it's a, an all-Republican Congress. And if you have your president come out and say, I believe this and here's why, you know, maybe they swing around and fall in line and they look at this and they say, okay, well, that's $2 billion or $3 billion we can whack out of the federal budget. Maybe maybe it's a different conversation now that, that SpaceX is flying and, and Blue Origin is flying. I don't know. I, I just don't see Congress coming to that conclusion <laughs> on their own any, anytime soon. Yeah, it's tough to envision a, a large shifting of, of uh, interests in, in any way. And uh, something else that people bring up when they're having this conversation is, oh, we don't have a NASA administrator yet. How much does that even matter? Because in, in the recent era, administrators, you know, they're, they're there, but they don't seem to be influencing policy direction in the same way that a National Space Council would or that, you know, a, a congressional swing of influence would. So, yeah, first of all, you know, Trump is like every other president who's come before him is, is he's not particularly interested in space. Every president should, since Kennedy, I should say, he's not that interested in space. Um, you know, and, and most NASA administrators don't get appointed until the summer anyway. So it's not abnormal that there's not a nominee yet for administrator. And you're right. I'm not sure how much difference it would make because whoever the administrator coming in is going to be coming in, you know, you're going to have a side that, that ultimately wins this, right? It's either going to be the new space side or the, the Alabama side. And, and so you're going to have an Alabama administrator, you're going to have a new space administrator. Um, or what probably will happen is that there will be, you know, some kind of a, not a detente, but, but basically what you will have is uh, SLS is allowed to continue. So you basically, you know, you throw in, you know, two billion and change to that program, you know, continuing, and Orion is going to get some money, and they'll kind of continue on their path, um, and, and you'll get more money, probably some from the military, maybe some from NASA, kind of being invested in reusable rockets as kind of a hedge, so that, you know, when we get to 2020, you know, we see where we are, right? Is the Falcon Heavy really flying? Is it, you know, are they recovering two or three of the boosters after every flight? Um, and, ha you know, it has SpaceX and Boeing safely launched some commercial crew missions, right? Because those haven't happened. They're a couple years away. Um, and is SLS kind of still foundering along and, and not, you know, not flying yet or it's just had one mission? And is Blue Origin, is New Glenn, is that a viable orbital vehicle? Are they flying? Have they, you know, by 2020, has Blue Origin flown 500 people into space? Yeah, we've so, got Vulcan around the same time period as well. Right. Is Vulcan is Vulcan flying with the with the 
AE4 engine? Um, are they making progress with their ACEs upper stage? You know, are other companies doing interesting things? And, and so I think ultimately what will happen is, you know, that, that we will kind of do this and not or, not because the two sides really are happy with one another, but because it's kind of a hedging of the bets, right? You know, but because if you would t- talk to someone who's building the SLS rocket, they would tell you, well, what happens to the rocket, U.S. rocket industry if we don't build SLS and, and Jeff Bezos decides that he doesn't like this and, you know, you know, Elon Musk, you know, decides to start, you know, drilling holes in the ground to, to make tunnels and, and it loses his interest in, you know, or he loses a couple more Falcon 9 rockets and his company goes under. Um, so, you, you know, they're, they're interested. I think there will be this hedging the bets and kind of SLS kind of, kind of. I won't say limps along because you don't really limp along at you know two two point two billion a year, but <laughs> kind true. of you know continues along and 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 we kind of see where everything is in twenty twenty. The only thing that really changes that 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 would really change that is if Trump and or Pence decided that you know they they were buying what Gingrich was selling, and they they listened to the military and they said okay, you know Elon Musk is is great. We love Elon Musk. And he's got a great vision. And, and Jeff Bezos, this guy seems to know the Internet business pretty well. Maybe he knows a thing or two about rockets, too. And, and you know, this is the future and this is jobs and this is great for the U.S. industry. And these rockets are all you know built in America. And maybe they make a push and then we'll see what Congress does. But I suspect that it will be more kind of a middle of the road muddling along until everyone gets flying and the cost of all this shakes out. And we see what's safe and what's cost efficient and, and who's who's actually succeeding. Yeah, I definitely, I, I could not agree more that we're we're having this argument, but we're still a few years away from being able to settle it because there's so much up in the air on, on both sides still. And I think that was seen in that Senate hearing I was talking about uh, on commercialization of space. We had uh, Virgin Galactic there, Blue Origin, Maiden Space, and Bigelow Aerospace. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were talking about, you know, what they need policy-wise to be able to create commercialization in space and to do things in space. And I was struck by a similar feeling that, you know, we're talking about this now and it's good to get this, you know, get out in front of this. But a lot of times when senators would be asking questions, pointed questions about what do you need from us to do what you're doing? There seemed to be this feel that, well, we know sort of what we need, but we're just not ready yet because we don't have enough money or it's not economical yet. And there was... Kind of this, you know, each of them had a little something that they wanted to say. Made in Space wanted to make sure that things that they produce in space would retain, you know, they wouldn't be, you know, taxed on it, bringing it back down to orbit. And Bigelow was worried about, you know, limiting bases and restriction zones and all that kind of stuff. They each had one little pet subject to talk about, but there was an overwhelming sense of we're still a few years away from actually being able to tell you what we need and doing any of it. Yeah. Well, I think as much, if not more important than that, was a couple of things. First of all, you know, the U.S. Senate is listening. Um, you know, Senator Cruz is listening and is interested in the commercial space industry and, and is interested in, you know, regulatory reform to help them out. And this is, this did not strike me as just all regulations bad. You know, we will destroy all government regulations. This was, you know, how can we really help you guys succeed? And the number one thing that, you know, Blue Origin wanted was, you know, you, we need to come up with a way to, to make to streamline the process to launch rockets from the United States because the FAA doesn't have enough money. They're probably who should be regulating it. And so they ought to have a properly funded commercial space office and they ought to be the go-to agency to, to handle rockets. And oh, by the way, you know, we need to prepare for future 
where launches are not rare and expensive, but common and inexpensive. And that means a lot more launches. That means turning the range around at Cape Canaveral much more quickly. And so I think that, you know, I think that Congress, you know, I think the future is pretty inevitable here, right? The, the future seems to be moving toward more rocket launches, lower cost rocket launches. So you distribute the risk um, when you're flying, you know, non, non-crewed, you know, payloads. And it, it, it just is really striking to me how kind of the government is off in the corner as kind of a real contrast to this trend of, of more launches, lower cost launches with the SLS, which, you know, at best probably launches every year. And when you amortize the cost of development, it's probably a 2 to $3 billion cost per launch. Um, and so two competing visions, but it's clear that the Senate was interested in, actually in, in, in at least enabling the lower cost, more launch model looking down the road. Yeah, I really liked the way that Blue Origin, uh, it was Rob Meyerson, who said that he would rather see the FAA get their licensing in order before they're given any more, uh, you know, responsibilities, specifically pointing at, uh, you know, orbital collisions and things like that, that people keep trying to force onto the FAA. And there's a lot of debate around that. I like the way that he put that. That was, can we get this launch licensing thing straight first before we worry about that? Because if we can't get the launch licensing straight, we're not going to have satellites, uh, 4,000 satellite constellations to worry about colliding into each other. I thought that was one of the best points in that whole meeting. Uh, I was just going to say Rob Myerson's a smart dude. (laughs) So yeah, that was the first hearing of many this year. So maybe as we hear more coming out of that, uh, we can have you back on to talk about whatever legislation comes out of that push. Happy to come on anytime. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Eric. You can find him on Twitter at SciGuySpace and at Ars Technica, senior space editor there. Definitely head over to read his writing, specifically uh, the two long-form pieces you had in the past couple months. You had one about the Europa Lander, uh, which was just an incredible read, and one about the Hawaiian telescopes, both the observatories that are there now and what may come in the future. Those two pieces in particular were incredible. So thank you for bringing us stuff like that. Thank you. (laughs) I love doing it. As always, you can find the show notes over at MainEngineCutoff.com and find a link to all of Eric's work there and some of the things that we talked about on today's show. Thanks again to the 56 of you supporting Main Engine Cutoff over on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Miko. And don't forget to check out the shop. I've got some great shirts and socks and everything up at shop.mainenginecutoff.com. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. 